Galaxy, an original virtuoso piece written by our guest today, composer, pianist, Reginald Robinson. Welcome to Black News, Reginald. Thank you for having me. It is such an honor to get a chance to spend some time with you. And let's talk a little bit about the 19th Galaxy. That is a remarkable piece. <laughs> uh, it's a piece that you wrote in homage to many of the early jazz musicians. Yes, yes. Pioneers. Who are some of the ones that we could hear? Uh, here, Fats Waller. From there, from Fats Waller goes directly to Jelly Roll Morton. So, from Jelly Roll Morton, it goes to Joe Jordan. So it was like. This here, that's Willie the Lion Smith. He would have do those kind of rhythms, you know. So I throw that in, but this, that kind of um, fingering is, you know, I heard Jelly Roll Morton uh, describe Tony Jackson's playing in 1938. So I threw that in. Here. Walking Tenth is uh, Mary Lou Williams. <laughs> so, 
Vincent Jelly Roll Morton. But you had to slow that down a lot, you know. Jelly Roll Morton. Then uh, Art Tatum. He had this um, way of uh, putting a passage in a run where it, it sounded like it was could be out of time, but it was always on beat, you know. So. James P. Johnson. He was this. Uh, well, there's more. <laughs> I go up here, you know what I Duke Ellington. From Duke Ellington, he goes to Spencer Williams. Um, let's see. You may, many people may not know Spencer Williams, but he was a, a, a great composer back in the earlier part of the last century. And uh, one of his famous tunes was a piece called I, I Found a New Baby. Mm. Yeah, so I, I put that in there. I just put the chord change. <laughs> And that phrase is uh, da, 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 that, that comes. <laughs> I was thinking of um, uh, Charles Lucky at Roberts. Roberts, yeah, he was a great stride pianist who uh, was pre he predated uh, James P. Johnson and guys like that. But he was more so um, uh, closer in age to Yubi uh, Blake. Yeah, those were like the original stride stride players. In, in the New York. Yeah. Not very often do we think of Yubi Blake. We think of ragtime music, but you've just yeah. given us a history of all these major, major artists. Yeah. <laughs> and um, talked about most of these artists spent some time in New York, particularly in Harlem, around the turn of the century. Is that fair to say, early? Uh, it, no, I would say around the turn of the century. There were, there were musicians, in, the black musicians were in, in Harlem, but there were uh, a lot of the ragtime music, music was uh, really being shaped in the Midwest. Yeah, around that, that time. That, not to say there was no musicians in Harlem, but there was like the, the, uh, people like Scott Joplin and Tom Turpin. They were all, all in the Midwest, you know. Yeah, Louis Chavan and those guys. Yeah. You know, you were known around the world as the leading proponent of ragtime music. <laughs> and um, can you tell me, how, how did this journey, this, this wonderful musical experience start for you? When did you get an interest in ragtime music? Um kind of started uh, before I knew it. Uh, I think I was already, I had a, a liking for music. And it was my, my auntie who reminded me about around 1979 that um, I was drawn to the, uh, the uh, electronic organ that she purchased. Yeah, and I forgot, I had totally forgot about this. And it just, to me it seemed magical to be able to, I saw her play one day. She sits down and makes these keys come to life. You know, music comes from the, from the keys. I was like, wow, it just to me it was fascinating. So I would ask, they, I mean, they live right, like right next, my auntie lived next door to us. And it was a family building. So um, I would always ask, like, if I could come over and uh, play on the organ. And um, <laughs> she would have a son. She'd say, okay, sure, you can. You have to get the permission from your mom, though, right? So I would get the permission from my mom, and, and I would come over there. But my, my cousin would always stand. she tells him, watch me. That was her son standing, watch me, make sure I wasn't banging on the keys or anything. So I can, I can remember him standing back watching me, you know. He wasn't that much older than I was. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I totally forgot about that. That was my first uh, uh, 
I guess, moment for, for music, you know, uh, being drawn to music. And um, the ragtime, that was always there. I always, I always heard this melody. I mean, I grew up hearing that on the ice cream truck. So I never knew what it was, but I just, you know, I knew it was, it was music I liked. You know, I didn't really think anything of it. But it's just, you know, I didn't think it was anything special I wanted to play or anything. But, so when I um, heard it, and um, I don't want to get ahead of myself because um, my brother started listening to old music around 1980, let's see, 1983, 84, around that time. Uh, I mean, it was. Everybody was listening at that time. Was listening to uh, Prince and Michael Jackson. How of course, we were listening to that. How old were you? Uh, around that time, I was around eleven. But I, I heard him. You know, I heard my brother listening to his music, and um, he started gravitating towards uh, big band music. You know, people like Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey and uh, Artie Shaw and people like that. And, um, we lived at that time. We lived in the Austin neighborhood on the West Side. So, are you a native, native I am. Chicago? I am. Yeah. And um, what's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I became familiar with this, with this, with this music. He was; these were like some of the musicians he was listening to on the old uh, time radio broadcast. Um, right along with Jimi Hendrix, you know, he was listening to Jimi Hendrix as well. <laughs> so um, after a while, I really started appreciating this music. I, you know, I could see that it was it was people took it serious back then, and so that was my introduction to the old. Really, I'll say to the old music, starting to take a liking to it. And one day we had an assembly. Uh, this was some years later, about 1986. Uh, school had an assembly. I was at Robert Emmett Elementary School on the west side. And uh, musicians came to my, uh, my school. It was a group of musicians, about five musicians. And uh, they put on a show called From Bach to Bebop. And uh, I was about five musicians. Well, I was excited because they, they uh, told us about it the week before. And uh, we got like the flyers program. I think it was going to be on uh, the next Friday. Um, so uh, this was 1986. I think it was around maybe in like, September, October. And um, so I was excited because I, I was listening to uh, all this big band music, and I was just excited to see. I wanted to see the brass. I remember thinking that, like, man, I want to see how the brass looks like. This is like the real. These are like a real band is coming, you know. And I don't think it'll be. Children in, in school, I don't really think they cared about that. But my mind, I was thinking about this, you know, because I had discovered, also discovered there was a group uh, in that same area from listening to the radio. Um, there was a group that performed back in the 1920s, and I was really getting interested in old-timey stuff, you know. And um, so this was around, right left a year after that uh, Al Capone vault thing. Yes. That we so I, I found that fascinating. I was like, man, this is Chicago, and this is what, you know, like trying to find out what I could. But uh, there was a group called the Austin High Gang, and that was Gene Krupa and some other, you know, these were the, the white players that was leading up to the big band in the 1930s. So um, that fascinated me, too, because we were living in the neighborhood, and my brothers, my older brothers went to Austin High School. But anyway, so these guys had come there, and I believe one of them was, um, was Orber Davis. Orber Davis and... I come to find this out later. You know, it, was, it was a bunch of musicians I worked with <laughs> late years years later. But they, they put on a show called From Bach to Bebop. And uh, about the middle of the show, I heard this same song, you know. Right, and I was like, oh, man, that's the, that's the, that, that uh, 
that uh, song that I hear on the ice cream truck. But now I had a style for it. It was called Ragtime, you know. And so I was like, wow, you know, I didn't, I knew the name Ragtime, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know where I knew it from before. Maybe it was because the movie, that movie that came out in like 1980, they advertised it on TV. You know? But um, that was that was my introduction to to Ragtime. That this particular song is, is a style called Ragtime, and I immediately drew to it, I was like, that's what I want to play. At the, after that assembly, because I already knew my brother was playing, um, uh, trying to play like big band, pop, he was playing all kinds of stuff, trying to do rock and roll type stuff, anything, you know, he was just really inspired, you know. And I, I was thinking like, I don't have a piano or anything at home, but this, that's what I want. I think I want to get into music again. I think I want to want to play ragtime. And so when I, on my way home, I remember walking up um, Washington, you know, Robert Emmett is like Washington, Central, Pine, and what's the other street? Madison. Sits on the, between those streets, right? So I would come home, walk up Washington, and uh, we were like at, right there between Menard and Mayfield. So that was a long walk. <laughs> and uh, I had time to think. I was like, man. <laughs> well, it was, I think it was Friday, too. And uh, so I, I was like, what, what was that kind of, you know, I almost forgot what the title of the style, you know, the style was, what it was called. And, um, I almost panicked. I know I'm, this may not be interesting, but I'm just saying it anyway, just for the record. I almost panicked because I was like, I don't know what the name of that style. What's the name of the style? Something told me like write this, write it down, so you don't have to think about it. So I, I remember stopping on the way and wrote down the word ragtime, and get home and thinking I'm going to look in my uh, family's encyclopedias and there was nothing there because these, yeah, at least like ragtime was not, not something that was like we're we're the oldest set of encyclopedias. Still, it wasn't there. It was not there. Yep. So I waited until Monday get back to um, school, because we, uh, we, you know, in our classroom, we had a, at the back of the uh, class, we had a uh, you know, collection of encyclopedias, more, more up-to-date encyclopedias. So I was able to uh, look there and find Ragtime. And from there, <laughs> Ragtime said, see Scott Joplin. And I was like, who is Scott Joplin? I don't even know if his name was mentioned in the uh, in that assembly. Yeah, because I think they were really just trying to go on, move on to the next thing, you know. But, um, so I discovered Scott Joplin looking in the encyclopedia, and, uh, and I was like, "Wow!" He mentioned this is his, this is songs, you know, the, the uh, entertainer, and they said his ma famous, most famous piece was the Maple Leaf Rag, and uh, and I was thinking maybe that piece that I heard, maybe maybe that's Maple Leaf Rag. I, I was thinking that for for a while, right? And um, but it also mentioned in the encyclopedia that his music had been featured in a movie called The Sting, and and then I recalled that I was like, "Oh, okay." I remember hearing about this thing. That was something my parents watched, you know, but I didn't care. I never cared about it. And so, did you search out? I mean, did you want to find out more of his music then? Oh yeah. I was, so, what did you? How did you do? How did you go about that? Oh playing? man, it was <laughs> not having any money. Uh, the thing was, is, uh, the only thing I could do was look, uh, search the radio, and I tried to find music, Scott Joplin's music, on uh, the same stations my brother was listening to. No luck, <laughs> because they, you know, they, they was like old time radio. So they went back to like the 1930s and 40s and, you know, Jack Benny's radio show and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was like, kind of like, I didn't know where to, where to go. You know, I just, just started going to the library and getting books on, on uh, ragtime. And, um, and one of those college stations, um, one day I was flipping the station. You know, back then we used to, used to have a tape recorder, cassette yes. tapes. And I, I had my tape recorder like on, on, on standby in case anything came on that I... <laughs> Sound like ragtime. I was ready, you know. Right, right, right. And uh, I remember the, the uh, 
some band came on, some Dixieland band came on on radio, and they were playing uh, some piece by Joe Jordan, and it was one of his. Uh, I forget the name of the piece. I think that, that teasing rag. Yeah, and I was like, oh wow, that was ragtime, you know. <laughs> So that was a piece to, of ragtime music. You so when you started, you played more than just Scott, as great as Scott Joplin was. You played other uh, ragtime composers as well. Oh, not at that time. I was just discovering it. Okay. Yeah, I was discovering that music. Yeah. And so um, the, the biggest revelation for me, the book, biggest book that revealed everything was a book that uh, we had in our, in our school, um, in the library, school's library. That had, uh, it was something like uh, the Negro and Art and, all, you know, all this. And it, I mean, everybody was at Bessie Smith. This is when I was introduced to every, all these artists all at once. Scott Joplin, um, James B. Johnson, U.B. Uh, Blake, and Noble Sissel. Everybody's pictures were in this book, including um, sculptures about, you know, by uh, artists of that time. So how did you make the connection? You are this young musician who wants to be a pianist, but you didn't have a piano. So how did you remedy that? Oh, I uh, stayed on my parents. <laughs> I was like immediately, that, in fact, that day after the assembly, Bugging my mother, really my mom, because she was at home. My father would come in from work and lay down or whatever. But my mother, I was bugging her about how to get the piano. I was like, you know, uh, my brother, my older brother, Bud. I'm like, Bud, he, he got a guitar. <laughs> I'm like, man, I want a, want a piano. My mother was like, well, I don't know if we can really afford that. So she eventually um, saw that I really was, you know, really serious about wanting to play music, play the piano. So she eventually got me, uh, well, it was a family keyboard, but it was like a little toy like a Casio type thing. <laughs> and I would, uh, I started trying to, trying to teach myself how to play. It couldn't, you know, another thing was trying to get music lessons. I really wanted music lessons. I had an associate in school, and his parents paid for music lessons, but he didn't see any practice like that. I was like, man, this guy, his parents are paying for music lessons, and he's not, he's not really taking it serious. And I remember going to see the uh, music teacher. One day we went to uh, see this music teacher, and, um, Wow, he was like, you wrote that? <laughs> I remember sitting at, the, at his piano, and, and his, he was like, you wrote that? I was like, yeah. And he had this weird look on his face. <laughs> kind of like, are you some kind of reincarnation or something? Right? Do you, by any chance, do you remember what you might have played for that teacher? Uh, Maple Leaf Rag. Well, you did. Yeah, I played Maple Leaf Rag. Wow. Yeah, and, and, this is, and this is without reading music. I mean, you taught yourself by listening. At that time, yeah. At that time, I was uh, playing about ear. Did you play a little bit of that? Sure. <laughs> school when you did this. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Uh, Seven, seventh grade. Eight, well, actually eighth grade. That, that still, time. you were a graduate school. <laughs> a, young, a young guy hearing this music that you loved and teaching yourself and you just uh, just took to it. Remarkable. Um, so not only a, a remarkable pianist, but you started composing. Right. Yeah. In, in ragtime. I, well. I could just tell you that um, Hearing the music of Scott Joplin, it just, I, I started at the top. I'll say that. I started, and I, was, and I knew it then. I said, I'm starting. If this man is the king, I, I see why he's the king. After I saw, you know, 
finally able to, to watch the Sting, the movie, and I heard this. And I was like, I, I was able to connect the, uh, the, the tune with the, with the, the name. I was like, oh, the entertainer. You know? And I was able to listen to his uh, different songs. I began to realize, wow, there's so much, so much uh, you can express yourself within this style. You know, there's so much. Uh, well, Joplin's ragtime was very expressive. I think it's more expressive than any, any of the other writers. And I'm glad I started at the top. Some of the other writers, they just wrote it. It's just their music just sounds happy. Mm -hmm. He had that in his music, happiness, and it was sad, right? You know, at the same time. And I developed that like with a. Let's see if I can play this. I'll, I'll try to play it. To give you an example. This is one of my pieces. <laughs> like that it sounds happy but actually it's it's actually sad you know so that, that's what caught me about Bracton the uh, split dimension of emotions and I don't know how to really say it but it was more emotion going on all at once you know uh, it seemed happy but underneath it it was like a a hidden sadness, really. What was the name of that piece that you wrote? Uh, that right there I wrote for a good friend of mine uh, who's an activist in Sedalia, Missouri. Her name was uh, Rose Nolan. I call it the Rose of Black Sedalia. Thank you. And um, just a little bit more about Scott. He also, as you said, was this remarkable composer. He wrote an opera that was, yeah. uh, was it ever performed? I mean... Not in his life. Well, he performed it once. Uh, sort of was a, uh, I guess it was I don't want to say it the wrong way, or maybe it was an audition, mm. but uh, his Tremonitia. Yes. He wrote, actually wrote an opera before that, before Tremonitia. He wrote a, a one called A Guest of Honor. Yeah, and that was around in 1903. And Tremonitia came out around 1911. He was completely around 1911. Um, but, uh, yeah, he performed it once at the Lafayette Theater in, in Harlem. And it, it didn't, it didn't uh, make an impact on the people the, the, who were going to back it. So it never, never got anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. You told me that he even felt that his music uh, wouldn't be accepted. I guess. Yeah, he saw that. He saw what he was. You know, he went to New York and then uh, search of better opportunities. Uh, left Chicago and went straight to New York, and it was tough there. I mean, it was uh, so many other uh, musicians writing. He was writing it just like this. I mean, he was the, the real king of, of ragtime and whatever else he wrote. I say he was a king of whatever whatever he wrote because he wrote marches as well and those were like I mean wow his Antoinette is unbelievable yeah but uh <laughs> um he didn't he really didn't have that that uh that much success in New York you know? and it was ch times were changing and he had to put on his music uh do not play this fast because I guess the, he ran into people like James P Johnson and Willie Lyon Smith they were taking his tunes and really playing you know they was going into stride. And he had to put a note on his music, like, do not play this piece fast. Right. right? <laughs> so, um, but he, he also, you know, would tell his friends that uh, he thought that his music would not be appreciated until, like, 25 years after he died, had died. That actually happened. Yeah. Yes, later. yeah.
musical genius. Uh, speaking of genius, um, you won the very prestigious uh, MacArthur Genius Award. Uh, was that 2004? Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Well, um, it was a real honor and a surprise. I, I had no idea. I've heard of the, uh, you know, I had heard about the MacArthur Foundation. You know, you just, if you're looking at a PBS program, you hear occasionally that they are funding by the MacArthur Foundation, along with other companies or groups. Or, you know. um, and so they look at one day, I'm looking, and I was, had been looking, trying to find work. That's another thing here, like playing the kind of music I play. It's like there's not a lot of support. Even to this day, it's not a lot of support for the kind of music that I play. And um, so I was down to the point of trying to find just a job to live, you know, nine to five. And <laughs> one day I was laying back. I said, well, I put in applications need to walk around. And, you know, at that time they were still accepting paper applications. So I was <laughs> doing these paper applications the week before. And I guess, was, I, I remember the date, because I know the date that they, that they called, so I know about when it was, um, I was putting in these applications. It was in the, like the 16th, 17th of September, 2004, somewhere within that week. I don't know what the first day of the week was, but I was, started putting my applications in. But by the next week, the Monday, that was the, the 20th, September 20th, uh, I'm laying back on the bed and I'm thinking, okay. Well, I'm not, which one am I going to follow up with, you know, from last week to see if they, what they think? And I, I can hear the phone ring, and I'll get up and look. <laughs> I'm like, oh, John D. and Catherine T. O. what is this? Okay. So I picked it up. I knew what, you know, I said, I'm going to pick it up. And, what are they calling me for? And, <laughs> right, so the uh, guy on the other end uh, said, uh, my name is um, Dan Sokolo, and uh, I am from the, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember exactly what he had said. He's like, I'm, I'm, um, uh, uh, I think he said the president of the fellows program for the MacArthur Foundation. He's like, uh, you've been selected as uh, one of our MacArthur fellows. And he said, uh, so he, and I can hear some people kind of like whispering in, in the background. And he's like, uh, and what, what that comes with is you be selected as a fellow. It means you get this uh, award of a, a half a million dollars. And I was like, he said, and I assure you this is not a hoax. <laughs> this is what he tells me. This is not a hoax. You can call me back. This, the number here is that we're all secretly, privately enjoying this moment here in the, in the office. And um, it, will be, it will be released in the news in, um, on the, uh, in eight days. But we need, before then, we need people. Uh, we're going to have some people to photograph, you know, photograph you. And for the, the papers, have, the press has to have this information before the uh, news media gets it, like the TV, television media. So, <laughs> so I was like, wow. And I didn't jump up and down and I'm like, you know, like you see some people when they win, win the lottery, I was just like, kind of going like, wow, you know, okay. So I got out the phone and said, we're going to send you a letter, uh, an official letter to, uh, you know, well, you know, it's, it's, this is real. And, and I'll listen. He said, you can call me back. <laughs> he kept saying that. You can call me back. It's not a hoax. <laughs> so, and the money could be used any way you want it. Yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah, you do have to you do have to pay taxes on it though. Okay. <laughs> well, I will say that you have to pay taxes on it, but it, it's I think now what they did is they increased it. So back when I got it, it was like uh, five hundred thousand. Now I think it's six hundred and twenty-five thousand. So an extra little bit. I think that people can take that and use it for taxes or whatever. Did that allow you to really get, you know have the freedom to work on your music? And it did. It allowed me. It, man, I'm telling you, getting a, a MacArthur. 
at that time I was in an artist law. Uh, I moved in, had moved into an artist law for Madison and Holman. And uh, <laughs> so the artists in the building, everybody was like, oh, the other artists that came down, there was like a crowd of people at my door, everybody knocking like, hey, we want to just tell you congratulations, you know. <laughs> But that, that was a that was a great thing, great great moment. And um, but I um, with that comes I don't want to go, go down and take up too much time. I'm just going to say no. with that is it's like it's it, it's two ways. You know, it's two things happen. You can you also have opportunities, and then your enemies start coming out the woodworks. <laughs> so a lot of people like I remember after getting to MacArthur and going to doing a show where I'm in a lineup of other pianists and playing. We've all playing ragtime. And I'm like, man, for some reason, I don't. It never felt like this before. Why is everybody like? Uh, they put me, save me for last, right? And uh, <laughs> I got to follow all these these guys, right? And for some reason, everybody was doing their top stuff. Everybody was fun, like uh, George Gershwin. And <laughs> I was like, oh wow, I got to follow this stuff, you know? And I guess they wanted to show me, Are you a genius? All right, we'll see, we'll see about that. <laughs> but I just I came out and I and I played what I played, you know. Deserve that, and, and, and you continue to write and continue to play. Um, I've heard a lot of your compositions. Is there like a, a favorite one that uh, you've composed even recently? None of you write oh. a lot, you, and you're always oh. writing. One of my favorites is a piece that I wrote in. Well, it's not not recent, but it's, you know, I wrote it in 1995, and uh, it's a piece called Sweet Envy. I can play this a little. Projects that you're working on now, you can tell us a little. Oh bit. yeah, I'm a uh, one of those projects. Is, I'm working on actually um, two CDs. One is a re-release of a CD that came out 20 years ago, Man Out of Time, and I think that was my my first. Uh, well, it's the first CD of mine. I released three before um, for Delmark, but uh, it was my first. It was my first self-release album, and the first album of uh, all my originals. No, no cover songs. The previous ones always had like a Scott Joplin piece or a piece by some vintage ragtime writer, you know. And I was thinking like, no, nah, this one I'm gonna put all of my original pieces on it. I think my pieces are just as interesting. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Man Out of Time, which is uh, it, it's it's in the original uh, package design that I, I intended in 2002, but I didn't do that when I, once I got the MacArthur Award. I kind of thought about it. I didn't I didn't uh, pay for having the, uh, the image. Like I wanted it to look, but I originally had a like a spaceman on it. <laughs> yeah, that's what the title was referring to a, a space a time traveler. Yeah. You were telling me about a piece that you're working with. Uh, I think an artist out of Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we I'm right now. I'm working on. Uh, we're in the beginning stages of it now, but it's going to be pretty big. Uh, we're honoring uh, one of the ragtime classical black p 
Ennis, uh, one of the great legends of uh, American you know, uh, music, John William Blind Boom, and he was in Columbia, Missouri. And so we're going to be we are going to be doing some of his music that nobody's ever heard before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you share a little bit of some, something you're working with on that? Oh, I, I can do my best. Let me see if we. Can. This is um, this is a piece that he composed. I don't know what year it's from. It, it exists on piano roll. Maybe the sheet music will turn up in the research, but a piece that he uh, wrote, some probably in the 1890s, called Gavotte Chromatic, where he covers all of the keys. That's so advanced. I mean, this was written in the late 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Boone was, was no joke. He was like, I mean, he was a monster on the piano. Uh, there's some piano rolls that exist of his, like he, that he made in like 1912 when he came to Chicago and recorded for QRS. And I mean, it's phenomenal. It's his touch. I mean, in his concert programs, though, he played uh, uh, Beethoven. And <laughs> this is in his programs, Franz Liszt, and it was nothing to him. You know, he could play this, hear this stuff, hear these tunes like once, once or twice, and he could play it note for note. Mistakes included. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. Yeah. Got you. Uh, Reginald, there's yeah. a place, you have a website so we can go and find out more about some of your upcoming performances. Yeah. And also purchase yeah. some of your music. Absolutely. Uh, ReginaldRRobinson.com. I cannot thank you enough for taking in some time to spend with us. Oh, you're welcome. This is a pleasure. Your, your beautiful music. Uh, we're honored, and we're going to continue to look out and listen for more of your music. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything you want us, us to know about Reginald Robinson before we wrap it up for the um, Yes, I want to just say that I'm uh, very dedicated to uh, preserving uh, black history, parts of black history that's really not known. And I've found some musicians that uh, have been forgotten. There's one musician I'll name, I'll name here. I'll never tell anyone, but I've uh, come across his name. He was pretty big in Chicago, uh, Robert Warfield. Yeah, and um, he had actually made some, had produced some shows. I think he, had, I forget his collaborator, but um, he was a, one of the ragtime musicians that his brother was more well-known than he is, uh, Charlie War, Charles Warfield. Yeah, Charles Warfield was more associated with the, with the blues and Jazz, the early early blues, like uh, his piece, I Ain't Got Nobody. That one, um, this is Charles Warfield, I Ain't Got Nobody. And then, um, uh, what is his other piece? Baby, Won't You Please Come Home. Yeah, he wrote those amongst, you know, among uh, many other pieces. But the younger brother, Robert Warfield, wrote, I think he may have wrote, written even more <laughs> pieces, you know. Yeah. Well, on behalf of Black Muse, again, thank you. And uh, can you play one of your original pieces as we sure. wrap it up? Let's see. Um.
remarkable man. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank man. you. <laughs>